Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Tuesday, June 6th. We are here live. It's time for the Power Hour. We've got the team here from Pittsburgh Power. We'll hear from them, and then we'll get to your calls and questions. We're going to open the phone lines right now, so light them up, 855-950-3835. Well, I see part of the team. I don't see Bruce yet. Uh, We'll see what's going on with that. I think I'm just going to jump right in and uh, bring in Eric and Leroy, and we'll get started today. Let's, oh, looks like we got Bruce coming in too. We'll we'll all be here, it looks like. Good morning, guys. Good morning. Good morning, Kevin. Uh, Leroy, what's new and exciting in your world today? <laughs> new and exciting. I'm short both. of both of those today. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. What's, uh, what, what's old and frustrating then? Uh, this Western star with the, uh, transition swap. Oh boy. Is this from an auto shift to a manual? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not hard. It's just time consuming. And that's, uh, that can be just a little tiresome when, you know, it's not like you have to think your whole way through it, but you just know that you got a long road ahead of you because you have to disconnect every wire and see where they go and disconnect. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, you know what that kind of reminds me of when we were active and building a lot of gliders every now and then somebody would, a, a glider would get ordered for a certain engine. And then for some reason it would get a different engine put in it. And I'm not even sure if that was legal or not, but there was a lot of wiring that had to be done. Um, and it was just, like you said, it wasn't hard. It was just tedious and time consuming. Yeah, and if, if you make one mistake and you don't check yourself along the way, then oh boy, you end up like <laughs> other guy that was working on it before me. You know, it's uh, you connect a wire to the wrong place, and then you don't know why it doesn't work. And yeah, you have to keep track of yourself as you go. So I mean, anytime you have a big wiring project like that, for one, I always tell people I, I buy these jumper wires off of Amazon. They're just a little piece of wire, and they have alligator clips on both ends. Yes, and instead of Placing it in and heat shrinking it and making it all nice and pretty. Just use a jumper wire to test your circuit before you put it in there for sure. I have um, several of those like, in my toolbox. They are handy. I, I I always make the joke anytime that there's new people here that I tell them I can fix anything with jumper wires. <laughs> just, it's, yeah. They're just such a handful. And the ones off of Amazon, funny enough, you would say that they're really cheap because the, they're like 25 gauge wires. They're like three strands of wire, but it's actually (laughs) because if you make a mistake, then the wire fries, but not the thing that you're hooked to. Oh, interesting. It's like its own little circuit breaker. Yeah, because it's such thin wire, uh, it can only handle a small current. So, I mean, I've smoked plenty of uh, of wires before. I remember one time (laughs) I I was trying to tell a guy why his voltage gauge didn't work in his freight liner. And I'm trying to explain it to him with the jumper wires. And I was talking to him and I was jumping, jump, jumping jumper wires. And I wasn't paying attention and I ended up just smoke show. Oh right. Boy. I hooked like a battery positive. Oh, no. Inside <laughs> <laughs> the cabin. I was like, well, then that, that's the one. I don't want to put that wire. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> like, uh, and he was really concerned. About, like, oh, this is there's like a half an amp fry these wires. So, right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, anytime you have a big electrical cluster, just use little jumper circuits to make sure you got it right before you put it in there for sure. And it just saves you a lot of time from undoing things because sometimes people will, you know, hard solder or butt connector and heat shrink like 10 circuits, you know, 10 wires. And they're like, oh, 
something doesn't work. Oh, and then no. you have to go back through and <laughs> you have yeah. to cut out something that's already the wire was already too short and now it's even shorter and it's just a mess. So jumper wires are your friend. And take your time. Yeah. Take your time. One wire at a time. Verify everything's right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I have one of those projects ahead of me, not on a truck, but on a house and I just keep dreading it. So we've added on and changed things and we've had different electricians in here and we are now at a point where we have, I can't remember if it's five or six electrical boxes and somehow none of them managed to get labeled correctly. It is a nightmare when something electrical goes wrong in this house. And here's the thing. Some of them are in the back of the house outside. Some of them are in the basement, two different basements. One's two are up front on the house. So it's up and down multiple steps. It's all around the house trying to figure it out. You get 10,000 steps in just trying to figure out what breaker popped somewhere. And then when you find it, you, you know, it's not labeled right. So I bought one of those tools where you you know, go to each box and you go to an outlet and you can kind of trace stuff back because otherwise it would probably take five people two solid days to get this right. It's probably going to take me two right. or three days just walking back and forth even with this tool, but it's one of those things I've just got to get done. It makes me crazy when something goes out in the house and it takes me three hours to find the breaker. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that sounds like a real mess. But like you said, you just got to uh, tackle it room by room, draw pictures, write it all down, yeah. and then you'll eventually. I, I got to the point where I started like fixing things or replacing lights without turning the breakers off, just being careful not to touch the hot wires. That's just a horrible way to work on stuff, though. I get shocked a lot. That's no fun. <laughs> Yeah, good thing it's only 110. Yeah, exactly. It kind of wakes you up, though. Yeah, 110 is attention. a sort of just <laughs> alert you of danger. Exactly. It, it gets your attention, yeah. So not looking forward to it, but it's got to be done. All right, uh, Eric, what's on your mind this morning? Uh, not a whole lot. Um, just wanted to reach out to some people out there. Our shop is about a week-ish out. Um, we have some openings here and there. So if you have some littler jobs, smaller jobs you want to get done, give us a call. There's a good possibility we'll be able to get you in within the next couple of weeks. Um, the other thing I want to touch on was Dave Nichols on the Trucking Tribe had asked a question about reading his oil sample. And I replied back to him this morning, but I just wanted to let other people know too. One of the things in his sample I looked at, I mean, there's nothing that raised a red flag, Dave, if you're listening, you're okay. If you didn't get the chance to read the reply yet, um, everything on there looks pretty decent other than viscosity, which we're pretty sure that they probably judged it wrong or labeled it wrong. The other thing, though, is the tech support you get and the, the full support, I should say, from OPS you get from us. When you do an OPS sample result, it's very easy to read and decipher red, yellow, green, orange, kind of like a stoplight. They just add orange in there. But you also get like us calling you. I will personally call you if you have anything that's flagged a three or four or higher. Or like the guy that I just talked to literally 10 minutes ago, and I apologize, I forget his name. We went over his samples. It was fine, but he just had some questions. You know, what does this mean? What does that mean? Where does this come from? Where does that come from? And his next question was, where do I learn about this stuff? I said, honestly, Google, you know, that's a problem. But here's the good thing. I get paid to do this. So call me. It's one less thing you <laughs> yeah. have to worry about. Good point. You guys have 
to keep keep track of on a day-to-day basis with everybody out there moving around traffic law e-logs shippers loads pay don't worry about this you know let let people that get paid for it, like myself let us do the hard work for you with this but it's just one of the advantages of ops versus some other oil samples out there it's easy to read and the support is also backing from us yes and you know i i tried over the years to create treat cheat sheets on reading oil samples and i don't know maybe i'll try again with ai maybe i'll be able to get something figured out there there's too many variables you get this confusing tree kind of thing if this then that but if this and not that then this and every time i sit down to try i think i'm just going to confuse people more with this i don't know if they still have it i I agree with you you know Unless you're just really interested in this stuff, you should probably, if you're working with somebody like Pittsburgh Power, you've got the resource there. Use it. Polaris yeah. used to offer online courses. I'm not sure if they do or not anymore. I took several of them. It, it helped me over the years. And, you know, I was able to work with um, Tom and some other people. And, and, you know, I was able to gain the knowledge slowly over time. But when I took the courses... I really, it, it brought a new understanding. So you might want to check Polaris's site, see if they still have some. Um, they were they were well done, simple, and but they, they really helped you kind of understand some concepts. Exactly. I, I think there's still some online classes you can take. Um, and, and I don't want to come off like I'm, seem like I'm shunning anybody from knowledge. Yeah. I mean, I, I am all, everybody I, needs to learn. If it's one thing, you're not really kind of, uh, what I want to say here, looking forward to exactly just something you feel like that's what I'm here for. You know, I talk about this all the time as an owner operator, there is an awful lot to do if you're really going to run the business well. And in my opinion, you can't do it all. Some people do, they pull it off pretty well. Um, I decided when I owned trucks, there was no way I was going to try to do it all, especially as you start to add some trucks. Interesting, the one thing I gave up and trusted to somebody else most of the time was the mechanical work. I could do it, but it was just way too time consuming and too much to keep up with the constant learning as things were changing. That was an area where I thought, you know what, I'd rather trust somebody that does this every day. If I need to fix something, I can. But for the most part, I'm just going to let somebody else do this. And I decided to, to focus more on the business and accounting because I just didn't see that as a good thing to hand off to somebody else. When I tried that in the beginning, it, it, OK, I have somebody doing my accounting, but I don't understand what's going on. And when they explain it to me, it's not really making sense. But if I do it, if I'm the one that learns how to do this and I put the numbers in, then it all started to make sense to me. So I I think the way you said it was a great way. If you're not looking forward to learning about oil samples, don't. Go do something in the business you're more excited about doing. Exactly. I just, I wanted to, you said about when you get to a point where you don't want to do stuff. Not that you can't, but you don't want to. I love that saying until about three weeks ago. I bought a an older Ford diesel just because I thought my life isn't dumb enough already to throw that into the mix. <laughs> I went out and bought one. It's kind of like a mini project. And there was the up pipes that were leaking. And if anybody doesn't know or familiarize with these, the manifolds face rearward just like a regular conventional V8 in a car. And the up pipes come up towards the back V of the valley where it feeds the center-mounted high-mount turbo. They leak. They're not fun to change. So I take it to a local guy. He's renowned for it. 
He calls me up. Hey, everything's good. We're good to go. Oh, hold on. I'm getting a call from the guy test driving your truck. Oh, boy. Okay. So he hangs up five minutes, something. And uh, what, what is going on? You know, what did it run out of fuel? You know, what's going through my mind? He calls me back. Hey, we got a problem. Uh, your transmission's not making any line pressure. Oh, wonderful. So the one time in my entire life, I'm 48 years of existence on this planet, I send work out to somebody else. It bites me in the, in the ass. But, it, you know, it, <laughs> well, I don't, I don't think that it doesn't sound like it's his fault. It like, was not. It was definitely not his fault. I, I don't blame him at all. It just happened to be luck of the chance that it happened to him. But honestly, I'm kind of glad because I sure as heck didn't want to pull a transmission either. Yeah, because, I mean, right. we we experience a similar thing or just a lot of shops experience a similar thing where they, they bring something in for this issue while it's here, you know, next thing you know, this happens. That is totally irrelated. And it's like, well, what did you guys break? It's like, well, exactly. we, we didn't cause that. You know, it's popular with tunes. We talk about that a lot, but just in general. I'm so glad you brought that up because now I know what it feels like to be on the other side of the counter. You know, yeah. sometimes you have to give bad news to good people. Unfortunately, it just, it happens. But now that gave me a dose of reality, you know, where I can feel a little bit more empathy towards the end user too. Cause sometimes you lose that, you know, I, I don't right. want to seem like I'm being harsh or cold. Sometimes well, you kind of are. Get, well, thanks a lot. Buddy. <laughs> <laughs> We're here to support sometimes you. The, yeah. I'm not. <laughs> sometimes you just get beat down in life, you know, and, and I, I, I got to look at it too. I got to remember that I don't know where this guy's coming from. I don't know his history. I don't know what his home life is or what his paycheck is. You know, I don't know any of that. And you have to remember that what would you do if it were you? And that's how I try to treat everybody with as far as questions, sales, tech support, whatever it might be, because you just don't know the other person's story. Yeah, that's a good point. And, you know, just in general, I can tell you we're heading into a time that's going to be very different from the last two or three years. Last two or three years, yeah. everybody with a truck was making money. I mean, you could go out and, and stay in business with your eyes closed and half your brain tied behind your back. It was so easy. And that's totally changed. It's about to become the opposite. We're about to see one of the most difficult cycles I've seen where we're almost I'm hoping we're near the bottom. I'm hoping it doesn't get much worse than this. But you're going to see a lot more owner-operators struggling and having to make tough decisions. And, you know, you're going to see people start to cut back on maintenance, which, uh, you know, if you're in that bad a shape that you've got to cut back on maintenance, you're probably not going to make it. Uh, I've seen some people pull it off. But uh, one of the things I'm going to try to figure out how to help people with in this cycle is how do you find the end and not try to hang on too long because you can do an awful lot of damage to your life, your relationships, your finances by trying to hold on too long. I'm the guy that will be hanging on by that last piece of wire, um, you know, hoping I don't fail. But I, I, there are some people I, I've got to try to figure out how do I get them to understand you've got to know when it's time to bail and you can get out of this a whole lot easier. People don't understand how much risk there is to holding on. Here's a rule that when everybody hears this, they think oh, that's awful. And honestly, it's one of the few things about the IRS that it's really not awful. It's correct, but people hate to hear it. So let's say we've got somebody who just bought one of those $130,000 used trucks that really should have been a $70,000 used truck. And that happened last year. The numbers were that bad. 
So they went out and financed 130,000, probably didn't put a whole lot down because they didn't need to. And now as their business starts to fail, they probably still owe 120 on that truck and it's now worth 70. So if they're going to fail, now they're going to default on that loan. The bank will auction it as quick as they can get rid of it because they're going to be sitting on a bunch of trucks again and they hate that. When they auction it, instead of getting 70, what it's really worth in on the open market, they'll probably get 60 at auction and you owe 120. So you can file for bankruptcy all you want. And a lot of people will at this point, which is a mess. Don't let the attorneys tell you it's no big deal. It sucks. Um, but that $60,000, here's why this actually does make sense. And it is correct for the IRS to handle it this way. You borrowed $120,000. You only paid 60 back and you didn't even pay it back. It had to come from the sale of the truck, but you paid 60 back. The other 60 is now revenue to you and you have to pay tax on it. And you can't discharge that in bankruptcy. You can discharge everything else. You still owe the IRS their money and they have 10 years to collect it. And it will be collecting an awful lot of interest during that time if you're not paying it off. People have to remember that. That's a, imagine all of a sudden having $60,000 worth of revenue that you have to pay tax on. And you failed, by the way. It, the reason you're in this position is you don't have any money. So how are you going to pay this tax? And now you've got that big bill hanging over your head and it's collecting interest and it's a mess. So I got to try to figure out how to get people to understand when they need to just bail. I know it doesn't have anything to do with maintenance, but it kind of does because we're talking about, you know, how can you guys help people when they come into the shop? And part of it is you guys could look at a truck and probably figure out this guy isn't going to make it right. It starts to become obvious. Right. Yep. All right. Uh, let's bring Bruce into the conversation. Bruce, good morning. Good morning, Kevin. I'm uh, just leaving Dr. Jane's uh, beautiful log home down here in uh, Henderson, North, not Henderson, Hillsboro, North Carolina. Um, we were in a meeting yesterday with uh, the people from a firehouse out of seven fire engines that had as many as five down at one time because of emission problems. Wow. That's awful. Five out of seven. Uh, the last two were down and the total bill was $47,000. And Bruce, I just want to jump in here so we can remind everybody who pays that bill. We do. We do. Yeah. The taxpayers. Yes. So that all could have been avoided if they just used the max mileage steelborne catalyst. So we're going to be working with some fire departments now. I didn't realize it was that bad, but when you stop and think, those things do a lot of idling. They go out to every fender bender. They're constantly going, but they're not going down highways and making enough heat to burn off the soot and carbon. That's a really good point. So, yeah, it's a horrible duty yeah. cycle for emissions. That's right. That's right. So that is all I have for now. Um, yes. I'm ready to go to questions and answers. Well, I think we I can get... tell you, North Carolina is a beautiful. This North Carolina is a beautiful state. 
And yes, it is. People have a lot of pride in their homes, and their highways are nice, and lots of green trees. It's just beautiful. I almost lived near Charlotte. It was really close. So when I had the trucks in Ohio, and I was at, it was RPS still, but FedEx, I wanted to get out of Ohio for a lot of reasons, the weather and just all kinds of things. And so I started looking around, you know, where we had hubs and where else I could move my trucks to. And I took it down to Charlotte and Jacksonville, and then I made a trip out to each one. And I was really interested in Charlotte. The the reason I, I chose Jacksonville, one, they had an opening sooner. I would have had to wait about another six weeks uh, for Charlotte. But the other thing was out of Jacksonville, Charlotte was actually the farthest north I would really get. Um, and actually, we didn't even go all the way to Charlotte. We went to South Carolina and met them halfway. But if I was in Charlotte, I'd be getting back up into the winter a lot because you'd, you'd have to run north out of Charlotte. So um, I decided on Jacksonville and it all worked out. So, But Charlotte was a beautiful city, yeah. beautiful area. I love that that oh, part of is. the country. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're, we're, I think, about 200 miles north of there. Maybe not quite that far. But uh, this is... True, beautiful country living here. Yes. Anyway, maintenance, preventative maintenance. When money gets tight, people tend not to do that, but that's what keeps everything going. And it's better to maintain than to wait for it to fail. Absolutely. And that's kind of what I was getting at, that that short-term thinking that you get into when things start going bad. But it's that short-term thinking that'll put you out of business. You you can't start thinking that way. You you can't put off maintenance because it will cost you more. And the whole problem is you need every penny you can get at that point. And people make decisions that work against them. They start driving faster because they just feel desperate, like they have to make more money. And the only way I've ever been able to figure out how to get people to understand this is to get them to do their accounting when we can show them the numbers. Look, you tried that. You're going faster, but we ended up with less money. You're skipping maintenance and the bottom line's getting worse, not better. It's just hard to get them to see that. And usually when they fail, it's just a train wreck. Right. But, uh, you know, now's a good time to start doing a lot of your own work. Ah, that's another good point. Buy tools. Yeah. Um, tools are deductible. Put up a pole barn, even if you just put up a roof over your head uh, or put a concrete pad in your on your driveway and learn to do a lot of your own work. I mean, that's how we all learn one bolt at a time. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, Eric and I were talking about, you know, what you should do and what you shouldn't do. Uh, in your business, but I will also say when times get tough, you need to do more. And I don't care if you're already doing a lot and you say, well, I'm doing my accounting. I I just, I don't have time to do the maintenance. Well, you know what? You're going to have to find time, sleep later. Uh, That is one way you can really pull out a small business is you just start working even harder. You know, I probably shouldn't say this, but when you look at the disastrous government that we have now and you've seen other countries in your little time where the citizens overthrow the government now you can see why they did that you know when you say i shouldn't say this that's how we all feel we don't really want to talk about that it seems pretty extreme and drastic but it it really is time that we need to start talking about it uh it, it 
something has to change. Our government has gotten so far out of whack. You know, it's always been frustrating dealing with government politicians. And but but now that it's just so far out of balance, something has to change. And when people start talking like this, you know, something has to change. Yep. I was going through the channels one night and I think this politician was on CNN and I do not watch that channel, but he said, we're the U.S. government. We can print all the money we want. Oh, that that is their new theory that they can just print their way out of a recession. Yeah, I mean, I was just blown away. Yeah. You know, if you make 100000 a year, you can't give away 200000 So the thought was that there is a group of economists and politicians that think this can work. They, they really think, but here's the problem. It, it can work. It actually can work as long as the U.S. remains the worldwide currency. That's about to change. And the more we push this, the worse it's going to be. China and Saudi Arabia are creating a petrodollar. There are currencies that could replace the U.S. dollar as the world currency. If it happens, our economy is going to be a mess, way worse than even what's being predicted now. So you got to keep an eye on that. Yeah. And, and once that happens, all that money we printed really starts to hurt bad. That's when inflation will take over. Our dollar will collapse. As far as value goes, it, it's that's a scary thought right now. And everything we're doing is increasing the chances that somebody is going to, we're, we're going to end up with a different world currency and it's going to hurt bad. Mm-hmm. Okay. All, All right. right. So I'm not sure uh, if we were just so engaging with our conversation this morning that everybody's just sitting back listening intently to their radio, but nobody called. That's, that's unusual. Oh. Yeah. I, I think we, we just mesmerized them all with our brilliance. <laughs> hey, uh, Leroy, I thought you said that was going to be an easy conversion on that Western yeah. star. It is. <laughs> Here's the problem. A week, ago, a week ago, that was going to be a piece of cake. What happened? It is a piece of cake. It just takes a while. You oh. open the dash on that truck, Bruce, and every wire is yellow. <laughs> That hey, is horrible. I don't know who the engineer was of Freightliner and Western Star that, that just loves yellow so much. But if you're listening, we don't like you so much today. And I know that wire D496-516 is the ignition wire. <laughs> <laughs> I know where the spice bank is. Hey, hey Bruce. <laughs> Bruce, this is a piece of cake. You know, like those $10,000 wedding cakes. You know, they're 10 feet tall. And it, yeah. it's one of those cakes. Yeah. No, I see. <laughs> it's it's, it's and like, like, running like running 10 miles is easy. Like I know how to run, you know, just one foot in front of the other. <laughs> that becomes a little more challenging. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we, uh, we woke, we woke everybody up from their, uh, their stupor. So calls are starting to come in. Let's go ahead and jump on them. Let's go to Oklahoma. Paul, welcome. I knew Howdy. it. <laughs> <laughs> that, was my, that was my first guess. I thought it all. I know it. I could feel it. You know, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm not cutting back on maintenance. I've, I've actually been doing more, but truck's getting older. It's 10 years old, and then all that extra crap there that I hadn't planned on, the wiring harness and everything, 
my maintenance cost has jumped up a bunch in the last couple of weeks, but it is what it is. And today they are putting my new disc pads on, on the drive axles. Uh, the disc pads I got from Peterbilt cost $423.64, and it's going to cost me about $400 labor to put them on. And so I got about, I got about $800, but I got 1.2 million miles out of it. So that comes out pretty cheap per mile. Not too bad. Very so, but when I, when I went to the, the shop that's doing it and he said, we did a disc brake job a couple of weeks ago. And he said, the truck had around 400,000 miles on it, but I don't know whether it had multiple drivers or just an, one idiot driver, but they'd worn the brakes out and chewed into the rotors. So this is where disc brake hurt you because it was over 10 grand to do a brake job. What? That's insane. Well, it, yeah, well, he had, to, he had to buy six rotors Oof. and the shoes and all the labor. So disc brake can be really good, but if you're stupid... It could be really expensive because if if you're only getting four hundred thousand miles out of a set of disc pads, I think you're driving terrible. Just my opinion. Well, so. well even the early, the, the the first years we had trucks with disc brakes. I remember going back and reading the report a couple of years after we started using them, and fleets had significantly lowered their brake costs overall. So you're right. The the lesson here yep. is don't be stupid. Yeah, I think Shania Twain had a something like that. Don't be stupid. I think so. Yeah. So, and my, yeah. Paul, why don't you tell Kevin about that beautiful A model Kenworth with the 3408 cat that's for sale, one owner truck that I saw you comment on on Facebook. The the $225,000 one? Yeah. 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 Yeah, you know, what was it? A seventy, a seventy-four? I don't know. The truck was beautiful, though. Wow, it was a beautiful yeah, yeah. truck. One owner, so at almost yeah. a quarter million dollars. So, two hundred twenty-five thousand. I'm, I, I don't see them getting it. Maybe someone will buy it. That's just Kenworth crazy, or maybe Kenworth will buy it to stick it in a museum. But I, me personally, I don't see them getting that sort of money for it. But maybe. Stranger things have happened. But. I, I just wanted you to bring that up because that's the highest price I've seen so far. Wow. Yeah, for for yeah. an old truck. Yeah. But, but you know, hey. Mint condition. Look, look, what, yeah. look, look what people spend when they go to the Barrett and who's those other guys that have oh, those Barrett auctions, Jackson, those yeah. car auctions. Yeah, Barrett Jackson and uh, oh, it's that one that's on TV begins with an M. Meekum. Meekum. I'm sorry, Meekum. Uh, Look what those people spend for a car that they're not even going to drive. So yeah, somebody yeah. could buy it for that. I mean, it, it might have been the first truck they had or their dad's truck, and they have lots of money. Yeah, Bruce, you know, the we just had um, David Counts on with us last Friday, um, and you've seen the cars he builds. Yes. I was shocked, yeah. totally blown away when he told hey, – I was down there when he was building a project car for somebody in Australia. 
They wanted, I think it was a 60s, I forget what year, 60s Mustang, I think might have been this one. Uh, so David shopped, well, they kind of shopped around in the U.S., found the car. David went and looked at it for him, said, yeah, we'll start with that. Uh, he does almost everything himself. I mean, he, he does all his own upholstery work and leather work and builds, you know, stainless steel twin turbo setups. And uh, his paint work is just phenomenal. He's one of the best painters I've ever seen. Um, but when he started talking price, it was hundreds of thousands of dollars for this car. I, I had no idea right. we'd gotten to that point on old classic cars. Here's something interesting. I've talked about this before. People always ask me about investments. You know, we think about the stock market and bonds and, you know, real estate, the typical stuff. If here's let me say this before I talk about this, anything you're going to invest in, you better have a really, really good understanding of that. So if you if you don't have good in understanding of stocks and companies and financials, you shouldn't be investing in the stock market. But everybody does anyway. One of the best investments over the last 30 years, almost, if you knew how to do it, was classic cars, classic American muscle cars. If you knew which models to buy in what condition and, you know, original or customized could either way. But if you understood that market, people were making 15 and 20 percent returns on their money. They would buy a portfolio of of classic muscle cars. Or all the right. for down under. Yeah. Yeah. So, so people will put people will put a quarter to a half a million into a, a classic car. I've seen what David does down there. So 225000 for that A model Kenworth now is pretty reasonable. Actually, it sounds pretty reasonable if it's that nice. And yeah, <laughs> it does. Look, you're getting, you're getting a truck that can actually make money. True. As opposed to a car that's going to sit in the garage. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. Okay. So my, my, the, the trailer salesman, I, I paid my deposit money, about two weeks ago, and then he went on vacation. I, I, I guess my down payment was his vacation, maybe. I don't know. So he got he got back to work yesterday, and he called me this morning, and he says, okay, I'll call you back with a build date for this trailer, and it's going to have disc brakes on it. That's pretty much the only change I made um, to the trailer I got now. But um, hopefully by the end of August, I'll have a brand-new trailer behind me. So, yeah. Well, that's exciting. Okay. Yeah. All right. Might uh, be the last trailer I have to buy. So. Everybody woke up this morning and the calls are flooding in, so we're going to get to them. We are off to Illinois this time. Tom, welcome to the program. Hey, how are you guys? Uh, I've called before. I've talked to you guys. Uh, but uh, I do have a question. Uh, I have a 06 Volvo day cab pulling a dump trailer, a lot of off-road, and uh, we had a problem with a boost leak. Found it. There was a charger cooler, replaced it about two months ago. And now we're having a problem where in the morning, the boost would be fine about 31, 32 PSI, and about four or five hours later, you would drop like five PSI. What could possibly cause something like that? And we did ch check the cooler. It's fine. It, it holds the pressure doesn't have any other leaks that we could see that we could find we don't have a smoke machine to try it but uh any ideas so did you did you pressurize the turbocharger and all the piping instead of just the charge air cooler we did it both ways 
Okay. So no leaks. Both. Uh, you might want to check nothing, the breather on here. Okay. You might okay. want to check the breather on your fuel tank. As you drive, you pollute the fuel in the tank with microscopic air bubbles, and you may just be getting a lot of bubbles. And the breather on the tank is to relieve that. And if you're having a problem with your breather, that could be one of the problems. And the fast fuel system takes the air out of fuel, so it might be worth trying to put a fast system on to get that five pound of uh, turbo boost back. Huh. And it will do it in, intermittently like that because there there will be a day or two that it'll run fine all day, and then the next day it'll be like I said four or five hours into the day it'll be fine with boost thirty one thirty two, and then it would drop to like twenty seven twenty six twenty eight twenty six. Yeah. And I'm gonna say Leroy, is there anything in his ECM that could be causing that? It, you know the breather on a fuel tank sometimes they have an aluminum ball in a housing and it gets corroded from moisture. Okay. So well, don't overlook that. don't overlook the breather on a fuel tank. And Leroy? So you're saying you intermittently lose boost on your ISX eight seventy oh six, right? Uh, no, it's a Volvo D sixteen. I mean I'm sorry, oh. D twelve. I'm sorry, D twelve. Twelve. Okay. And an yeah, it's a Volvo D twelve. Well the intermittent problem is that it's it only does it in the morning. And then uh, the boost drops like after four or five hours of working, and it'll be you know down the rest of the day. But then the next day it'll be back up again in the morning. It's like it something like it's overheats or something, and then after it cools down overnight, it's working again. Yeah, I'm not super. But then, but then, it, but then it'll be a day that'll run all day fine. It is just started doing that uh, about a week ago, and yeah, later, I mean, the new charge cooler was replaced two months ago. Right. I think I think he has bad aerated fuel in the tank. Do you have any check engine lights or codes popping up on the dash? Nothing. Leroy, could that be a no. silent straight where he's just it's pulling fuel and that's cutting back on the boost? Yeah, so it can either be um, some sort of turbo protection um, on trucks of similar years. They have like turbo fuel control algorithms that if the compressor or outside air density is too low. It'll pull the uh, it, it'll pull the turbo back to try to make less boost because it thinks it's going to go into overspeed. Um, so I would probably be checking sensor values, like I always say. Um, that's usually the first place okay. to start. All right. Well, we did have a, a pretty I mean this decent change in temperatures. It would be like 50s, uh, mid 50s in the morning, and it would go shoot up to like uh, low 90s, high 80s. And yeah, it could be fairly, like an fairly fairly humid outside too. Intake air temp or maybe outside air temp would be the, probably the biggest thing that determines that. Um, I don't think okay. the V12 has a turbo speed sensor. Um, so, yeah, I think you're looking at probably temp sensors. Or I guess barometric pressure could also cause the same sort of density shift. But um, that's the two things off the top of my head. Okay. All right. We'll you have got, to go look at that. You, you got to keep in that's mind high humidity. High humidity yeah. displaces oxygen, and the engine burns oxygen. Okay. All right. We'll have to look into that. I appreciate it, guys. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's continue on. We are off to Indiana this time. Matt, welcome to the program. Uh, good morning, gentlemen. Uh, I have a 1988 Freightliner with a Cummins 444 910 CPL. 
that I purchased at a consignment auction five years ago. And when I brought it home, I noticed that uh, it seemed like when you'd push on the accelerator pedal, there would be like a delay in the engine, like building RPMs, maybe like three to five seconds before it started to come up. And then you'd let off the pedal, it would do the same thing. And my intention was to fix it, figure out what the problem was. And uh, I've never got around to doing it, but I would go out and start the truck every couple months and drive it around the yard and whatnot to keep it running. Now I can't get it to start at all. And I was curious if you guys had any thoughts on uh, where to head with troubleshooting on that. Well, so the truck won't start at all. Do you get any white smoke out the stack when you're cranking it? Uh, yes, we were. Okay. You might want to pull the line off the top of the solenoid, crank it, and make sure the key is on to see if there is some fuel coming out of the top of the solenoid. Next thing is you can take off. Is your fuel filter on the back of the gear pump? Yes, it is. You can take those four Allen screws out and look straight into the gear pump have somebody hit the key and you shine flashlight in there and make sure the gears are turning. Like as you're trying to start it? Yeah, when you're trying to start it. There's two O-rings on that adapter and four Allen screws, and you can just put it, screw it back on. But back to the first problem, that hesitation you had, that's when you should have called us and got the fuel pump in and let's do a clean and check and recalibrate and reseal on it. And that's just settings in the fuel pump that was at delay. That 910 CPL is a great engine. And I congratulate you for knowing what CPL you had. Well, I've been listening to you guys for a while. And I, I know that uh, a while back you mentioned a bunch of CPLs that were good ones. And that made me curious. So I went and checked mine. And sure enough, it was one of the good ones. So. Right. Right. So call me back. Let me know after you make those checks. And we'll, we'll start on Ether. I haven't tried that yet. I'm a little leery of using ether, but I guess it doesn't have glow plugs, yeah. so it wouldn't be a problem, would it? No, it's not a problem. Just just don't ground it with ether. Just give it a little sniff. And if it starts and then doesn't and shuts right off, it means it's not getting fuel. Gotcha. Is there? It looks like the fuel line on it is probably the original one that came with the truck. Is there a chance that maybe that might have failed and be letting air in and it's that, not drawing fuel from the tank that could be swelled shut they'll swell start shut. to swell shut in about eight years and yours is the 1988 so that's the past time what do we got then 30 32 30 35 years old fuel line you might want to start there should i do the return fuel lines too you think absolutely okay and make okay. sure it's downhill downhill to the top of the fuel tanks from off the back head but Brian, my service manager, Brian Moan, will be a good person to call on that, too. I'm traveling today, so if you're going to work on it today, give Brian a call. Okay, I'll give that a shot. Thank you guys very much for the information. You're welcome. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's head off to Texas. We've cleared some phone lines, so if you want to jump in, 855-950-3835. Jeff, welcome. Hey, everyone. How are you doing? Um, Kevin, long, long-time listener, first-time caller. And uh, I, mean, I remember you way back from the old stations. And uh, uh, I, was, I went a couple of years, and, and 
I didn't forget about you, but I just couldn't find you. And then when I finally did, I was like, holy cow, here he is again. Thank God. But better than and, ever. Um, no, no commercials. So, yeah, late, exactly. I, I love this format. So, uh, ISX 15, CM2350, at 798,000, I had the rod main bearings replaced. And right, right before I had that work done, I noticed I started getting an oil leak. Well, I had thought that it was coming from the oil uh, oil pan gasket, and I I just kind of put it off. I thought, okay, well, I'm going to have this work done anyway, so I'm not going to drop the pan and replace the gasket just to have it done later again. And um, and so when I had that work done, I asked I asked the shop owner about. It. He said, yeah, we noticed it. He said it's actually coming from the front gear housing on that engine you know it ha- apparently it has a metal gasket on that front gear housing and i guess over time that ga- that gasket wears into the back side of that housing and will start an oil leak and uh, he said that the only way to remedy that is just to replace the entire housing i had another guy said no that you know, you can just clean the face of the engine up and clean the backside of that housing up really well. Put a new, new, a new uh, gasket in there and bolt it back up and go on about life. And I try and do a lot of this work myself, but I'm kind of, I, you know, I look at that and I'm thinking, you know, is this above my pay grade or not? Uh, you know, and but I wanted to see what Pittsburgh Power thought about that. And then I've got a couple of other things I wanted to hit on. That is a very major job, I'll be honest with you. And you, your shop guy that you're talking to is correct. You're not going to seal it up by just cleaning it off, filing it, trying to reseal it, because the metal gasket does wear through there. It wears a groove in that aluminum housing over time. Would with, you say 780,000 miles? Yeah, I'm, I it, I started noticing it. That's probably about right, probably around 775, 780. Yeah, with, with pushing, say, 800,000 miles, it's going to get a nasty groove cut in it from that metal gasket. It doesn't affect the block because, of course, the block's not aluminum, but it's just like electricity. It's going to take the path of least resistance, which, unfortunately, aluminum's softer. It's going to get cut into by that metal gasket. Right. As far as, like, a, a complexity of the job, it would take us the better part of a week, probably about three to four days to change that out because you have to remove everything off the front. Um, all your yep. accessory drive, all your gear train, you have to reset the timing and everything up there is going to have to be removed. Radiator, charge air cooler, AC condenser. Yeah, it, it's a pretty major and in labor intensive job. It's not much as far as parts go, unfortunately. It's just all labor. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, it's not, it's not, I mean, I change my oil. My maintenance comes around about every 13 to 15,000 miles. So I'm changing my oil pretty regularly in this engine. I always have since I owned it, which is almost six years ago when I bought this truck. And, um, and so I'm not, I'm not even losing probably a half a gallon of oil during the course of the maintenance cycle. So, I mean, I'm not super concerned about it right now, but I guess if that's something that I, I probably don't want to dig into because while I'm, I'm, I'm sure open to doing a lot of work on my own truck, I'm a single owner operator, but that sounds like a little bit much for me. So uh, I, would I probably to, won't go that route. I would try to plan it like as a scheduled downtime. 
And, you know, with 800,000, you might want to look into how, what kind of condition is the rat eater in? Should I replace it? Because typically they're going to lose their thermal efficiency after a few years too. You know, well, not a few, but a couple of years down the road. With 800,000, mm-hmm. just replace it. Do you, you know, what kind of condition is your charge air cooler in? While you're in there that far, there's other things you might want to look at too, like a crankshaft dampener. A lot of people still, to, to this day, I still talk to on the phone that, oh, my, my guy at the shop told me it never goes bad. Unfortunately, it does. Um, you know, there, yeah. there's some maintenance items you can do. And with the rat eater charge air cooler out of the way and everything, my guys love doing dampers that way because you can just fit down in there with an impact gun, tip off the bolts. Now, it's not that easy. It's never that easy. I'll put it that way. Like uh, Cummins dampers, they have a very tight tolerance because they're very strict on quality control. Because of that, they are a little bit a little bit firmer to get off of there. Um, so usually it mm-hmm. takes on maybe two guys with some pry bars and just some patience. You know, just work it off one side at a time. Um, but in theory, it should come off just like a wheel, but it never does. But there's other things right. to consider while you're in there that far because you're going to have the whole front of the engine pour out and the front of the truck too as far as that goes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And and probably that's what I would do. I would probably change all that stuff while I was in there. So, I mean, because, I mean, you, you know, I don't want to have to go back in to do it, you know, two months after the fact and, and then it bites you in the butt again. So um, Exactly. So, well, uh, well, thank you. Uh, can you tell exactly where the oil is coming from? Yeah, it seems to be, I mean, you know, as we talk left and right, or if I were facing the engine, it would, it seems like it's more bottom right, I would say, um, kind of, kind of to the, just to the immediate right side of the, of the dampener, right in that area. i tell you what I do, you know, those blue paper tiles, you take two or three of them and you fold them up and you, you, um, they'll absorb a lot of oil. And I've used those and shoved them in places to absorb oil until I was ready to do a rebuild. And you're close to 800,000. Let's say it's going to run another 200 and maybe another 400,000. I would try to postpone this until it was in chassis time. Mm, okay. Okay. Because yeah, a lot that of that's coming off anyway. Sure. That would, be, that, that would be the best time to do that is when you're doing an engine rebuild. Okay. Well, that makes sense. I appreciate that. Kevin, like um, Paul and a couple of other callers, I'm also a car hauler. I, I drive a 2014 388 and nine car Stinger. And, and one of the things that I, and I think Paul can probably relate to this and these other guys that, you know, our industry has changed so much over the last couple of years. I mean, especially when COVID came around and, and but one of the things that I'm seeing right now that just I mean, it just, it's amazing to me is the number of three and four and five car trailers and pickups that are just inundating these auctions now that have absolutely no clue what they're doing. They show up in flip-flops. They're out there up and down on a trailer. I, I, it's, it's a comical event to watch these guys. And, and the sad part is they're, they're bastardizing this industry to, to no end. Right. And it, and it just seems like nobody pays attention or nobody cares. I don't know. I have so no clue. I, I've talked about this in the past, but not so much with car haulers. And this is an issue. Um, you, it, people call me and ask, should they get into that market? Kind of the hot shot market, whatever it might be that you can use a pickup truck for. And I've said, look, here's the thing you have to realize that revenue pricing is always determined by supply and demand. 
If you are in a segment that is really, really easy to get into, it's going to be very difficult to make a lot of money in that segment. And we have an awful lot of people out there that already own pickup trucks and they get laid off from some other job and they get this idea that they can just go buy a trailer and start moving freight. And I, I tell people anything that they can put behind a pickup truck and move, the price is going to go down on it, on that freight. Normally, it doesn't affect car haulers all that much, but in an economy like this, it's going to. Oh, it does. Yeah. I mean, I'm fortunate. I've got a dedicated run, Dallas to Colorado Springs, and I've been running that route for five years with the same customer. And so I'm a little bit immune to, to a, lot of the, a lot of the things that many of these drivers are experiencing, but I see it all at the auctions. It's just it blows my mind. And, 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 it, and the thing is, is that they're driving $100,000 pickup trucks, pulling a $20,000 trailer. Can you and imagine the note on that? And they're hauling three cars? I, that's, really? That's my point on this whole thing is the whole issue with cars is if you can get one more car on there, it changes the numbers dramatically. So when you get down to these guys, yep. like you said, they've got... I, I could go out to get today and put together a really nice combination of an old late 90s pre-emission truck, really efficient. Um, I could single it out and still pull way more cars than these guys are able to. And I could do it with, with about, I know, uh, what, 50 or $60,000 worth of equipment, maybe. And... And maybe he, not even that much. Maybe not. The trailer I'm not all that familiar with. I know I can go buy a really nice pre-emission truck and, and single it out for less than 20 grand right now. We're back to that point again. You can have an awesome truck for fifteen or $20,000. That will last five times longer than their $130,000 pickup will. Yep. And I can oh, make it's, more money on every crazy. single mile. Yeah, this this model of hauling cars around two and three and four at a time just never made any sense to me. Well, the problem is, is that they can't be the only way to make that work. And I started, I'll be honest with you, 11 years ago, I started in a, with a three-car trailer. But within two months, I had determined <laughs> without me right. staying fully loaded both ways on every single mile, I will go broke within 90 days. Yeah. There's no way yeah. to make it work. Yeah, you know, I, I went to a four-car trailer. I bought a little business class Mercedes uh, uh, Freightliner with a Mercedes engine with a four-car trailer. I couldn't even make that work. I no, went to a seven-car with a, with a W900. I finally made that work, but then I had an opportunity to jump into a Stinger, there you and go. I've never looked back. Yep, absolutely. So you're right that that's I mean, something. I, 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 so here, here's something I will tell people. We are going into an economy. And if you haven't been in business, if you've been in business since after 2010, you don't know what we might be facing right now. So even when we think, well, that's not going to affect us. I have this customer. We have to be careful. Everybody is going to be struggling. Everybody is going to be cutting costs and you will see these companies start looking at their shipping and saying, oh, but wait a minute. Look, there's this truck over here that's going to do it much, much cheaper. And the reason is that that guy's probably a month away from being out of business. And now he's just hauling anything he can get his hands on. You can lose customers over this kind of stuff. I've got a great relationship with this with the guys that I haul for and. 
as much as I I am sure of that relationship, the market scares the hell out of me. It has to, and 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 you because I don't I don't I don't know where it's going. And and that's good no, healthy I, thinking on your part. You're 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 saying, look, this is the best relationship I could have built. I, I just there's nothing more I could have done. This is as solid as I can make it. But in the back of your mind, you know, you can always lose it. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I have a I have a suggestion for you. Um, you you speak very eloquently, so I think you should write some paragraphs and let's put them in our magazine articles and maybe put them in our website. Get them on uh, Trucking Tribe and let people know that that's a hard way to make a living because they don't know they don't know, and they'll go out and buy those trailers. That's a good so point. Maybe good if they point. would read read your writings. They might say, "Hey, uh, that doesn't work." So let's not even go there. Yeah. Well, it's. I mean, I'm for anybody trying to. I I understand you need to you need to earn a living. You need to feed your family and take care of your take care of your life. I get that. But you know, a short, uh, an expensive short term death does not work out very well. And and I've I've seen it too many times. I I mean, I've been hauling cars for 11 years, and I. I'm not, there's a lot of guys out there that are much, much more advanced than me. Uh, but my gosh, I mean, it's, it's something else. And, and, and it's sad on one hand. Um, but on the other hand, it's like, well, did you investigate any of this? Did you, or did you just say, oh, somebody told me I can make a lot of money hauling cars, so I'm going to go haul cars. Yeah, right. (laughs) You know, I mean, that doesn't work. You know, the whole, the whole car hauling thing sucks in a lot of people because they see that rate per car and then they start doing the math, but they don't understand the operation. And it could happen to to fairly smart people. I'll give you an example. The terminal in Orlando, when I was at FedEx, we had, I don't know, 60 contractors when I left. It was a pretty good sized terminal. I don't remember what year it was or why, But for some reason, one of the contractors, he already had like eight trucks at FedEx. And um, I don't know if he was just bored or or what. He had been in car hauling before and he decided to go buy a car hauler and start driving himself again. And then the next thing I know, two other contractors went out and bought car haulers and a whole bunch of them did it over like two or three years. And then two or three years later, nobody was doing it anymore. So that tells you something. It's a tough business. Exactly. It's very tough. I mean, it's relationship oriented. I mean, you're only the reality is you're only as good as your last load unless you have a relationship that that's going to keep you keep you moving. And, and you know, thank God. I mean, I I've got some of the two best guys that I've ever worked with in this business. And I mean, that they 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 formally introduced me as their transportation manager. And, oh, nice. and even though I have nothing to do with their business other than calling their cars. But I mean, I I bring a lot to the table for them, and in, in, you know, and in contrast, they make sure I'm always working. So That's it's awesome. a great fit. Yeah. Um, I as far as the articles go, I would love to do that, Bruce. I think I think I think there's information to be the the the, the car hauling industry as a whole generally does not get much face time, I guess, especially even on Kevin's show here. I mean, um, most of the guys here, they're, they're not hauling cars. I mean, there's just probably a handful of us that listen. Uh, but, uh, yeah. but, but we Paul, all have something to offer. 
Paul's our communications link. You know, one one call to Paul does it all. So uh, Paul lets us know what's going on. But yeah, send me a paragraph, two two hundred and fifty three hundred words, and let's do it for the next couple months and let people see it. And it's sure. my email is Bruce. My email is Bruce M at pittsburghpower.com and so and if you forget it just call kathy she'll give it to you and send me a paragraph and do it in the next couple of days you know yeah, we'll I'll get it in and you yeah, don't have to you don't have to for... you don't have to explain everything in the first paragraph let's do it for the next five or six months sure okay cool all right. Kevin, one last thing and i know i, I absolutely thanks bruce i appreciate that kevin one more thing and i I for, forgive me in advance, everybody else on this on the on the show today. But um, I've I've signed up with the University of Texas for a postgraduate work in AI and machine learning. Have you really? Um, wow. I I have. I'm I am convinced. As much as I, I'm like you, if I could shove it all down a disposable, I would. But I can't. So I'm of the opinion that you need to get on board with this and figure out a, where to go with it and be a part of it. Because I mean, if I honestly, if I had to do it all, all over again, I'm the same age as you, I'm 60. When I was in school many moons ago, I would have gone into computer science. I, as it was, I went into architect and, and I, and I got an architectural degree and I was in the construction business and, and I came out of that and started and started hauling cars. Um, but I have an opportunity, even at 60, you know, I'm still fit. I'm active. I, I think my brain works pretty well and, you know, and I want to dive into this. I I think there's a lot to be learned here and a lot to go with it. When when do you start? Uh, June the 10th. Wow. Boy, that, that's, uh, just just a few days. So so will you be my mentor? (laughs) I think (laughs) See, I was going to see if you would be my mentor because you're already way ahead of me in knowing what to do. <laughs> oh man! All right, we'll uh, we'll mentor each other then. How's that sound? But I, I am going to I'm going to email you from time to time about this. I don't want to take up today's time talking about it, but I just wanted to let you know where I was headed hey, with it. Hey, I've got an idea. Think about this. You, you, uh, Bruce yeah. is right. You do speak really well. You're clear. You're easy to understand. Um, I am putting together a show on AI. If you'd like to be a, right. a, a guest co-host, I'd love to have you. Awesome. Yeah, I would love to do that. Okay. Yeah, right. absolutely. Send, send an email absolutely. to send an email to support at let's just so I have something that so that I don't forget it. And um, and again, you know, I realize the, the people I want as hosts and co-hosts aren't coast host and co-host now they're not radio people i don't want a bunch of radio people i want people that are out there doing this kind of stuff every day and i can be very very flexible with this format if you say hey look i'm I'm right in the middle of unloading there's no way i can do the show right now okay no biggie but but when you can you know being out there taking the courses i i think you'd make a uh, great co-host for that show Wonderful. Are you going to do that on, on Twitter? Uh, probably. Or do you know yet? I, I'm probably going to okay. do it on Twitter. And the biggest reason is this is such a big topic that I don't want to limit myself to just 
being listened to by people in trucking. I, I, on Twitter, right, anybody right. can stumble across your space. And, and if it's, you know, titled AI and we start to grow it and it gets popular, we'll bring in a lot of people that are going to help us. It, it, so that's why I think that show really does need to be on Twitter. Wonderful. All right, great. I look forward to it. I'll drop you an email so you have my information and we can go from there. Excellent. But thanks for your time, Kevin. Thanks, everybody. And I look forward to talking to you all again. Fantastic. Thanks for the call. Good stuff. Let's head north of the border. Let's go to Saskatchewan. Talon, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. Good day. I just got a comment about uh, disc brakes. So, Paul is saying about that truck that only had 400,000 miles on it that needed uh, all new brakes on it? Yes. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Uh, I can definitely see that in some of these uh, fleet automatic trucks. Like right now, I'm in a, a T680, and my jakes barely work at all, so I end up having to use my uh, foot brake quite often to slow down. And just in situations like that, I can see wearing through brakes quite faster than uh, what you would like to. You know, the, so why don't you get the Jake brake fixed? Uh, what's that, sorry? Why don't you get the Jake brake fixed? That's a company truck. They don't want to. Oh, so they, that's the same problem as uh, as the firehouse we were talking about. Uh, the guy is up for retirement next June, and he doesn't want to do anything. And uh, so did you explain to him you need that exhaust brake? Can you get by our shop? It might be something simple. I'm up in Canada. I never get to the U.S. But uh, they say that they're going to try and fix it when it needs a safety next month. But, you know, these automatic trucks, not all of them, but some of them, if the fleets aren't taking care of the maintenance and the jakes don't work, I could definitely see wearing out brakes fast. So in the other issue here, the reason this can end up costing so much is because it's much more difficult for us to figure out how much pad we have left on a disc brake. I mean, that's why they have a hard time inspecting them on the road. With with the drum brakes, it's easy to see when it's time. And obviously, this particular company went way past. Then you need rotors, and that's when it gets really expensive. So the, the trick here, if you have a, a duty cycle that's harder on your brakes, wow. you should just know that. And you should be changing them before it ends up costing you $10,000. But, uh, you know, Bruce, this is is the same thing we're talking about with owner-operators. The the times get tough, and and even these fleets will start cutting back on maintenance, not realizing it costs them more. doesn't save anybody any money to cut back on maintenance. You know, the uh, the companies that are affected the most when things get really tight and what scares the hell out of me are airlines. Airplanes? I won't fly uh, anymore. A good friend of mine said... <laughs> no, I'm serious. <laughs> you just, you sound like Lisa. I've been fly- I know. I've been flying my whole life. There was a, couple, a year solid that I flew every week. There wasn't a week I missed flying in an entire year. I will not fly anymore. One, the, the hassle, the inconvenience... They- the attitudes, but two, I'm looking at safety now. We're going to have a big plane crash. It's going to happen. Well, the guy that built our Dragon 
for our dyno and uh, built uh, everything for our engine dyno. He works for a large airlines, and he'll tell us uh, at so many thousands of hours they're supposed to, let's say it's 8,000 hours, they're supposed to remove the engine and go through it. And then they push it back to 10, and then they push it back to 12. And it's kind of interesting how even the airlines will do that. Yeah, it, it it's... And- We have another issue in the airlines. We've had several pilots have heart attacks and strokes in flight. It's become way more common. um, And it's because the airline industry pushed the vaxes hard. And there, there is so much evidence out now how much damage that vaccine does. And yet it's still not being talked about, but we've had pilots um, that have died in flight. That's almost unheard of. Uh, the reason you don't want to fly is because of the pilots being forced to take the vaccine and now creating problems. So I see that. And and the poor maintenance that we're starting to see in the airline industry because they got hit so hard with COVIDs and the shutdowns and they're not really recovering and people aren't flying as much. You're going to see consolidation. You're going to see small airlines go out of business or get bought. And, and I think we're going to see accidents go up. We've also, this is just some sort of human error, maybe too much stress, or maybe they're cutting back on the number of people or they're making these air traffic controllers work too much. We've had an awful lot of near misses or collisions on the ground. That never used to happen. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I have enough control over my schedule now. I don't need to fly anywhere. I can just take the coach. Just take my time. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Let's, I told uh, my wife all right. that uh, I told my wife okay. the only way I'm getting on an airplane is if it's somewhere that I can't physically drive to. Yeah. I, I, if, <laughs> you know, if something really important came up that I really wanted to do, I guess I'd get on a plane again. But for the most part, I'm looking at all my travel and just trying not to have to fly. All right. We're going to move on. Okay. We're going to head off to Chicago this time. Warren, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. Hey, guys. How are you today? Good. What's on your mind? Well, two things. I wanted to give you guys an update. I um, talked to you a couple times and got your course, and uh, I'm a relatively new owner-operator here. uh, Well, it's my 90th day tomorrow. Wow. Congratulations. Just a little – (laughs) yeah. Well, thanks, I guess. I mean, I'm surviving out here, as you know, and, you know, everybody knows that it's it's not a great market. And, uh, you know, I've got a quick cautionary tale here. At first – you know, t- take a look at that national average rate, uh, drive in rate or whatever you're hauling and, uh, you know, let it sober you up. And, uh, you know, the days of the, uh, four and $5 a mile rates are gone. And, uh, but I've got, a um, you know, an old truck I paid cash for it's an 04 freight liner, um, with a, uh, Detroit diesel 60 series in it. And, uh, the, the operating costs, um, you know, I've been pretty low. I'm getting pretty decent fuel mileage on it, but, uh, so I'm surviving out here. Uh, I wouldn't call it thriving yet, but we're making ends meet and, and, uh, able to get by, um, bought this truck out of North Dakota because, uh, it came out of a, um, uh, a CDL training program that was run by a college. And so I was able to speak to them before I bought it. 
and this engine only has, uh, well, when I got it, it only had about just over half a million miles on it. Those are original miles. Now, it was a training truck, so it, it went through uh, transmissions every, uh, they, I think they put a new one in it every five years. But boy, I, the other thing I can't emphasize enough from experience that you emphasize a lot, and that is uh, the more cash you've got on reserve, the better. Um, in my second week, uh, I had a catastrophic failure in Bedford, PA. I was on a load, and uh, what I thought was a uh, you know relatively minor issue, which probably required a clutch adjustment, uh, ended up being a, a, a very major issue. I had a, when I bought this truck, I I had kind of a quick and dirty inspection done on it. I bought it out of state, um, but I. I I would emphasize to anybody going into this business, make sure that you have a shop like Pittsburgh Power. Somebody really knows what they're doing or that you have a good relationship with. Try to look at the truck. Try to buy local. Um, this this clutch adjustment took it into a, a repair shop in Bedford. They adjusted the clutch. And what ended up being the problem was that the transmission, when it was replaced by this college that owned it. So, you know, this is a state college in North Dakota that owned this truck. And uh, apparently they used um, an inferior bolt. Uh, I guess I, I don't know much about this, but number five as opposed to number eight or something like that. And it wasn't the clutch that needed adjustment. It was that my transmission, the top bolts, um, had failed, and my transmission was uh, basically falling off the truck. Uh, and somehow uh, this truck managed to go 5,000 miles that way. And uh, after I took it out of the shop, I had a big grade. I had to climb up to get to the end of the road. I was about 1,000 feet from the shop, and the transmission just locked up. I, I couldn't get it out of gear. Uh, two tow trucks later, uh, the state patrol showed up. I had the sheriff out there. There was school was letting out. There was a line of buses behind me. And I will admit it was one of those moments, you know, two weeks in as an owner-operator. I really just wanted to to walk away from that truck and pretend I never saw it and, and give up. But, uh, uh, I ended up, um, getting an estimate from the shop to, to do what we ended up having to do was put a brand new transmission in it, uh, clutch, uh, the flywheel was toasted, the flywheel assembly. Um, it was a disaster. This was a $12,000 event in the first two weeks. And, you know, I had, I had, you know, a, a, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. I had enough saved up for this contingency, but boy, I, I didn't think it was going to happen in the first two weeks. You know, I, 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 uh, so the more money you have available, the, the better. So the truck's been running fine. That's the update. Now here's for the mechanical question. Uh, the truck's been running well. Um, except I ran into an issue where I was getting, uh, under a load. If I'm bobtailing, uh, this isn't a problem, but even if I've got the trailer on empty, it, it happens a little bit, but when I'm under a load, it's, it's, it's a consistent issue. So what, what happens is, and, and this is by the way, a, a late 2003 Detroit diesel 12.7 60 series but it does have the EGR on it. So this is like one of the first ones with EGR. And uh, anyway, so the problem I've got is when I'm, when I'm going up a grade and even a, a, a minor grade, um, I get 
it started with a with what felt like a like a surge of the turbo like i wouldn't get full power and then it'd surge forward and i'd get it and and it would it would back off by and by the way this truck does not and i i need to have it done but i've been you know spending plenty of money so i mean this is something i probably next time i have it in the shop i'll do I, this truck doesn't have a boost gauge on it so i can't give you boost gauge numbers but uh, i had a shop that locally that did the transmission job i they're pretty good i i you know i feel like i can trust them uh they did they ended up replacing the an elbow for an airline that runs to the v pod um and uh, that was leaking and when i got the truck back and i was bobtailing i noticed a difference it, it, it seemed to be running better it seemed to be running smoother the the turbo seemed to be, you know, doing what it was supposed to be more. So I was encouraged. I put the truck under a load and it's basically doing the exact same thing. And what, what it does again is if I'm climbing a grade, um, what'll happen is I'll, I'll get like a, I'll be climbing. It doesn't seem to have the power it used to, then it'll, then I'll suddenly get the power. It'll surge, but then I'll get a, a, a nice puff of black smoke. Um, so I'm clearly, got some uncombusted fuel here and uh i'm just trying to figure out what i should be looking at and if it's still maybe egr or turbo related or if i'm maybe looking at a bad injector or something like that any any thoughts from the from the Pittsburgh power I, folks yes i'll start and then i'm gonna turn this over to leroy do you run the max mileage fuel borne catalyst I've not done that yet. No, I'm sorry. I, okay. I haven't. I, that, that, that's number one mistake. Number two, one of the items that we talk about on the front of your crankshaft that causes the bolts, the flywheel housing bolts to break is the torsional okay. damper. And the okay. torsional damper can cause power issues. They did this $12,000 worth of work. This truck is a 2003 I said a half a million miles, but it's well over the 10 years. So that torsional damper, did they replace it? No. Yeah, okay. So that's two things you need to do right there. The catalyst will help clean out the uh, VG turbo and the emission systems. And call us up and get it or get into our shop. Do you live in PA? No, I live in Ohio, but I'm not far away. I'm probably uh, about an hour and a half from you guys. Okay. You really want to get over and let's check that out. Let's get a new uh, torsional damper and mercury engine balancer on the front and let the uh, engineers go through the emissions and get that cleaned up. Leroy, do you have anything? You you got a question, Warren? You were starting to ask. Oh, yeah. Bruce, how big a job is this, uh, what you're talking about with the torsional dampener? Oh, it's uh, six bolts on the front. Sometimes okay. you can change them in an hour. Sometimes it's three hours. You can do it at home okay. if you want. Just call call up and we'll ship you the parts. Okay. Okay. All right. So this, I, isn't, I tell a, you, I, this isn't another $12,000 job. Then. Oh, God, no. No, no. Okay. <laughs> Eric, how much is the damper and balancer for that 12.7? Uh, the crankshaft dampeners are, whoops, I hit the wrong button here. They are right around six something. I know the mercury foot balancing rings are 245. Uh, they are 601 for the crankshaft dampener. Okay. So, hey, uh, years ago, Kevin, do you remember we were doing a show and a guy pulled into Sap Brothers in Denver 
with a 12-7 Detroit and a Freightliner, and he called us when he was starting to change and put our new damper and balancer on, and he called us when he was finished. Do you remember how long it took him? Uh, less time than it took me to do the show that day. <laughs> took him 30 minutes. <laughs> I tried to hire him. I said, sell that truck and come be a mechanic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hell of a job. Okay, yeah, that, that might be a not, decent... Not a hard job. Okay, that might be a decent first job to... To give it a yeah. try, you might so. you might want to go by Detroit and buy six new bolts. Uh, they do want you to replace the bolts, and the fact that uh, that damper is probably the original. Hey. Those bolts may be ready to fail on the front, so pick up six of those and uh, order yeah. our damper. Don't buy a damper from Detroit because they're made in China or India. Ours are made in the USA. Hey, I just okay. No, I, I'll get I'll get yours. I I just <laughs> thought of something. Warren's getting ready to do this job, kind of his first job on the truck, mechanical job to replace the damper. I'd like to know how many truck mechanics in the U.S. have never changed a damper. It's not a very common thing. Nobody replaces them. That's because of ignorance. They just I don't know. know. I know. It's just like, you know, you get laid off and you have a one-ton pickup at home and you go buy a three-car haul trailer <laughs> and you start hauling cars. You just don't know. Yep. Right? That's right. You, you can't you can't now, blame them if they don't know. Well, well, I'm going to blame somebody, the industry, some. Now, here's the difference. The guy who gets laid off. Uh, OK, he's got to go do something. So it, but this is their job to know this. I, I won't excuse somebody's responsible for this. And think of all the the money spent on other repairs because a damper wasn't replaced. Well, that, that is it. very true. Yeah. Look at the uh, money spent on emission systems because people don't want to spend a penny a mile to put catalyst in when it's going to save them six cents a mile. So it's ignorance gets in the way. Kevin, I told you how how I learned. Mark Chappell called me one day, the head performance parts engineer at Cummins, and he said, you know, there's, I've been thinking those seven and 800 horsepower big cams you're building you should put two dampers on them. I said, tell me about the damper. Interesting. To me, that was yeah. a harmonic balancer. Huh? So yeah. It was Mark calling me because we had become friends. How many mechanics get the opportunity to become friends with head engineers of engine companies? Yeah, but let me, let me correct that. You didn't get to do that. You went and created that relationship. You did. I that. did. Yeah, you did that. And I'll tell you how, why you always come across these things or figure this out or you think of all the, the parts you've developed over the years and the fixes. The, the reason you come across all of this stuff or build those relationships isn't luck by any stretch of the imagination. I've said this before. You're one of the most curious people I know. You ask more questions than anybody I know. You, you meet total strangers and you start asking them questions. I've watched it. But th this, is, this is why you know all this stuff. <laughs> we, uh, Dr. Jane took me to one of her neighbors yesterday, and she's another doctor, and she collects art and sells art and brokers art, and she's worked in Africa and studied in England and everything, and we sat there for about uh, two and a half hours with a glass of wine, ate shortbread cookies, and we knew where she was born, Youngstown, Ohio, <laughs> and moved to Indianapolis, and we knew her life story before we got out of there. I'm sure. It was, okay. it was kind of fascinating, you yeah. know? So. Yeah. 
Good anyway. stuff. All right. We're going to continue with the calls. We're going to head off to Arizona. Marie, welcome to the program. Thank you. And it's from Chino Valley, Arizona. Nice and warm here today. So. There you go. So, so since you don't fly, as I heard earlier, and you use your coach, what I need to know, what navigation system do you use? We presently have a 36-foot motorhome, and we're pulling a 20-foot enclosed car trailer. We're heading back to PA this summer to do some racing, but Got it. I don't want to get lost somewhere where I can't turn the vehicle around. <laughs> Got it. No, great, great question, and you came to the right place. Let me give you the history on, on this. Back in 2007, uh, first year I was on the air, um, 2007, 2008, was really when the GPS manufacturers started to get on board with other than car routing. So, you know, first they started coming out with some commercial GPSs for trucks with bridge weight limits and, you know, height restrictions and things like that. So I did a huge test on them back in 2008. I somewhere, I still have the original winner that I that I picked out of about six different truck specific GPS's and it was a Garmin. Later on, we actually formed a partnership with Rand McNally and helped them build a truck GPS that had our fuel gauges software built into it. And we were really excited and I hate to say it, but it turned out to be a disaster. Um, Rand McNally has always had excellent software and features. I really like their layouts and their interface. Their hardware sucks. It always has. It's always been a problem. And they convinced me that, and I used to talk about it on the air. They reached out to me and said, we're going to build a better truck GPS. Will you work with us? And I did. And they did it again. They went to a tablet. They said, we're not going to use our hardware. We're going to use a tablet. The tablet they bought was total junk. And we had nothing but hardware problems and our name was all over this thing horrible situation for us so we dropped it the whole program i said i can't promote their gps anymore um, garmin reached out to us and we've had a really strong partnership with garmin now for years we work with them on their gps their headset their um traffic cameras the the video cameras that go with the gps they have an eld that goes with the gps we work with them on their wearables now their watch so hands down i and now now garmin makes that same unit like the diesel is the one for a truck they make that unit specifically for rvs and it has really cool features in there for rvs with rv parks and where to get propane and service so no doubt in my mind the only gps i'd recommend for somebody with an art um, an rv is the garmin rv model okay no that sounds great yeah, because we just have a regular one that we use for the cars, but we definitely need something when you're pulling a longer vehicle there. Um, to be able to get, you know, certain roads. And we do have, um, I think we, we picked up the Rand McNally um, map just for truckers and whether that, you know, that sort of that's, gives us, you know, we don't get off and get too many side roads. <laughs> that, that's always good. And Rand McNally is still the leader in that physical map. So, yeah, I'd always have an updated Rand McNally with me. The The... 
RV versions, especially the Garmin, the features are fantastic. I mean, you're going to love all the things you can do with it. The hardware is solid. They last forever. We just don't seem to have hardware problems with Garmin. So it. Uh, so when, when I test these, I end up, at, and they make these up to 10 inch now, big, big screens, because you have room for it in the RV. So why not have a bigger screen? I can see more information on there. But when I test them, they give me the diesel version because I want to test all those truck features and I'm still running my own RV version and I upgrade it every couple of years. Uh, they're both fantastic. They're, they just have features designed for trucks or RVs. What are they running? Just curiosity on pricing. I'm going to say they're probably between four and 500. I haven't bought one for a couple of years since we've had the inflation, but I'm going to say around four or 500. Okay. Guess I know there's so many different ones, but we'll make sure we get the RV one in approximately in that, in that range. So, yeah, so okay. The, no, that's great. Thank you very much. I, I'm pretty sure the option is going to be, you can get the RV model in different size screens and that's going to determine the price too. For me, because I have so much room in the RV, I just get the biggest screen they offer. <laughs> it's easier to see. I know. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, and you can get more information up there. You can see what's coming up at the exits. You know, you can see all the RV parks, and it's um, it's really worth having. Let's go to Illinois. Jim, welcome to the program. Uh, hey, Jim, I don't know what's going on. Hey, Bruce, I'm going to mute you for a second. I've got a noisy line somewhere, and I think... Now it's not Bruce's. Who's got the noisy phone line here? Um, it's not Jim either. Is somebody else in a car? Uh, nope, I'm in there. Yeah, I thought so. Right. I'm in a car, but it's quiet in here. I know, I muted you and it didn't change. Jim, are you there? Whatever you were trying to say before, we weren't understanding, so try again. Oh, wait a minute, I have to unmute you. There we go. Try it. <laughs> Try it now, so you're not talking to yourself. Oh, that would be better. All right. Oh, you sound much. Hey, you were now. talking. Uh, you, you you were talking a little bit before about checking the disc brakes on trucks and how hard it is, so you can't see what's going on. Disc brakes on trucks are are a piece of cake. Every manufacturer, Mariner, Bendix, they have little spring loaded pins in the face, and they're color coded: green, yellow, and red. It's really, it's really hard to see after you get brand new, you can see them, but after you drive a couple miles, it gets brake dust on it. Oh, there are little okay. spring loaded pins that tell you, that tell you the actual, if you see green, oh yeah, your, your brake pads are good. If you see red, well then you better change them. Okay. I, you and know, if you want to get, I guess I need to go re-educate myself. The early systems didn't have anything like that. It makes sense that they've put some sort of indicator on there. Um, and yet, yeah, it's a, it's how, how many people little, probably little know that it's down there, right? Oh yeah, no, nobody knows. And and if you get really fancy, they have electronic sensors that'll that'll show you something in the dash on how much pad you have left. You know, that was my. I wondered why they didn't have that. That that seems like the well, really well, easy sure, solution. I'm I'm sure it's a it's a fancy electronic center that costs a bunch of money, but instead of the little spring loaded thing that's painted green, red, and yellow, they put an electronic sensor in there 
And it'll tell you on the dash how much bad you got left. You know, we've talked about the brake safe product for years and, and I loved it. Now with disc brakes, it becomes kind of obsolete, but they, they had a similar setup. They had a visual indicator that you could kind of crawl under the truck and look at pretty easily. And it kind of gave you your brake stroke. So you knew how much of your pads you had used. Yeah, yeah. They came out with a really high tech version of it that gave you sensors up on the dash. That same thing, you kind of got yeah. a green, yellow, red, and it was it was sensing the stroke. It was just a little overly complicated and expensive as an add-on, and it never sold that well. I loved it. I, I had them on my, one of my trucks and was going to put it on the others, and they kind of discontinued it. But I, I thought it was an, a great product. And and I think it was Paul that said he's put disc brakes on, and it and it and it's costing him like five hundred bucks to put pads on his truck. Uh, I think he said something. I don't remember the numbers yeah. though. I thought he said four hundred in labor. Four four hundred in labor. Ah, it, Paul sounds like a pretty handy man. You can throw pads in these things in about ten minutes. I, I would think it's a pretty yeah, well, simple job. Awful yeah. lot of money. Yeah. Well, wait a second. You, you, you have to pull the you have to pull the tires off first, right? Well, yeah, yeah. You got to pull the tires. So yeah, you got to pull the tires. But you get the tires off, and and you can put pads on an axle in about twenty minutes. <laughs> You, you don't even have to pull the calibers off. You just pull the cross brace off, pop them out, pop new ones in. I mean, yeah, you got to inspect the rotors and everything and make sure that's all good. Uh, make sure you don't have any problems there. But as far as just changing pads out, yeah, it, it takes about 20 minutes an axle. Which, so let me know, know where, 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 where is yeah. this sensor? Where is the sensor? Is it on the back side of the caliber and you get under the truck and look at it? No, it's not actually on the caliper. It is on the... Uh, it is on the face that the caliper bolts to, and it, there's a there's it's a hole and there's a spring loaded pin in it, and every every Meritor thing I've seen in the last ten years, every Bendix I've seen in the last ten twelve years, it's a little spring loaded pin, and if it's brand new, brand spanking new out of the factory, you could see the green, red, yellow, but yeah. you you nope. drive a couple hundred miles, it gets full of dust and you can't see it. Right. So what happens and, if you and, find, do you get yeah. under the truck to see it? Yes, yes, you do, unless you have the tires off, and then you can just stick your head okay. over there. But, um, okay. but yeah, so you, you, get can, under the, you can go under, under the Okay, mm -hmm. now let it hold yep. on. You get under the truck on a creeper. If you take a can of brake clean and you know where this sensor is. Oh, yeah, just shoot it with some brake clean. Hey, hey, Bruce. Yeah, yeah, you get it. Yeah. That, I, yeah, I, a, a blowgun and some brake clean, piece of cake. Bruce, I had the exact same thought a little bit ago. I couldn't jump in. I was going to say, if you can't see those pins after a while, couldn't I just lay down there and shoot it with some brake cleaner? I should be able to see it without. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, a, a, brake, a brake cleaner and some uh, and a blowgun, because there's going to be a lot of brake dust and everything blowing around. But, yeah, you, sh you should be able to find it. I I haven't seen any any trucks in the last 10 years, 12 years that ain't that ain't had it yet. And like I said, in the last couple of years, they've, they've been putting the electronic sensors in that kick something to the, they get rid of the little spring loaded red, green, yellow pin, and they do something on the dashboard that tell you how much the pad is and, and, or and how much pad you got left or whatever. In reality, when they build that truck, it could be cheaper to put in the electronic version. I mean, that kind of stuff is, is pretty darn oh. cheap these days. 
Oh yeah, I couldn't imagine like putting it in like after oh, the right. fact. Boy, that that might that well, might cost that, a ton. I well, that, that was kind of the system on Brake Safe. It wasn't that expensive, but it was a little clunky and cumbersome. But you know, when they're building the truck, a sensor like that should be pretty common. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's if if you know what you're looking for, there's a little spring-loaded pin down there, and it it it's painted colors, and it'll tell you how much pad you got left. Excellent. All right. Good stuff. And and one more one sure. one more question for Bruce. Yep. Uh, hey, I do work on a fleet of emergency vehicles, Bruce. Where I've been to your website. Where where do I give my powers to be at the fire department? Where where do I find info on this catalyst? Well, it's on our website, and there's a lot of testimonials on the website. Uh, I, I well, yeah, I mean it's 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 one thing to have somebody say yeah it's great. Is is there any 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 other data? I you, you know what I mean? Yeah, we we it, could send you some. Okay, call call Kathy and tell her to send you some literature on the max mileage fuel borne catalyst. Just call over to call over to Pittsburgh Park. Yeah, yeah. And talk and, to Kathy. And I've, I've wrote about it in many of the articles and. You could okay. go into PittsburghPower.com, look at Bruce's articles, and you could print those out, too, all the ones okay. on the Max Mileage Catalyst, okay? Let me jump hey, okay. in first real quick. Hey, when yeah. you get on our website... Hey, hey, and if you need... Go ahead, Eric. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, click the Max Mileage tab, and as soon as you scroll down, there's the SDS, the safety data sheet. There's frequently mm-hmm. asked questions. You get down a little further, there's real customer testimonial. There's a lot of stuff on there. It also has some technical data on the bottom. It explain, explains like how it works, what it does, how you okay. use it, stuff like that. If you have any okay. technical questions or specific stuff that you don't see on the website, because we try to keep it more user-friendly for everybody. If you need something more in-depth, call me direct. Um, I can help you. If I don't know the answer, I will find it out for you. But We've been using this stuff for quite a few years now. There's a lot of stuff that I, I, I'm pretty familiar with it. Well, yeah, no, I've been listening to Kevin forever. I just can't get my bosses to, to buy into this, this fuel additive wonder wonder juice that they just don't buy into yet. I got to get them to, uh, to buy it. Where, where are you located? Uh, Chicago, you outside of Chicago. Hey, I have a, outside of Chicago. I have a creative idea for you. So... Tomorrow, sure. tomorrow, go in their office in the morning and hide a phone with our app on. And then when I start talking, they're just going to hear random voices. Maybe they'll learn something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I got, I got you playing every Tuesday in the shop. Not a problem. And, and I, I know I feel the other fire department's pain, Bruce, because I got six engines and two ladder trucks and six ambulances. I have one engine and one diesel ambulance out of service every single day for emissions. Oh, that's crazy. <laughs> every day. Well, you, why, it's why so can't bad that you can't get to what? Do you want me to come to Chicago and go and meet with those people with you? Oh, I would love for you to come to Chicago. <laughs> well. I know how much trouble great. we get into. <laughs> um, but, yeah, we, uh, we, uh, uh, we actually have a spare engine. And a spare ambulance, just because of the fact there's an ambulance, diesel ambulance, and a and a diesel engine out of service every day. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> they just jump in the spare. We just rotate them out, and it is. It's horrible. They sit. 
they idle. I've, I've got engines that are only showing like like 70,000 miles on the odometer, but it has 15,000 hours on it. Wow. So, wow. Yeah. Uh-huh. All right. Yeah, wow is right. <laughs> Here's what we do. You get several of these fire companies together. Uh, you don't have to get them all together, but let's let's try to hit three or four of them in one day. And I'll fly into okay. Chicago. You pick me up at the airport, and let's go. And what we'll do is we'll treat. Uh, let's take their worst vehicle, and you'll know which one the worst one is. We'll treat the fuel, and within a day or two, they'll see that the check engine lights have gone out, and their problems are beginning to be eliminated. That that sounds like a plan. I'd love to do it. It'll happen that fast. Okay. L- let me, uh, let me give me a call. Give me a call okay. tomorrow morning. I'll be in my office okay. tomorrow morning, and uh, let's look at your schedule and my schedule, and we'll do it. If if we're gonna if we're gonna do this, I will I will get with some other local departments and see if we can just do them all. Excellent. Yeah, absolutely. Because because every town has a department. So if if I know I know the mechanics at the neighboring towns, let let me get with them and see what we can do. That's, you got it. And if uh, <sighs> if you think you'd like to have Doctor Jane Gates, I think we can talk her into coming. But uh, I think you and I can do it. All right. You let, let me so. let, let me dive into it. Excellent. All right. All right. We've got a deal. And it looks like we're going to wrap this up for today. Um, one thing real quick, I just want to throw this out. Not a uh, not a huge deal, but um, I may not get a chance to talk about this this week or not. So I'll just do it real quick now. Um, we talk about Dave Ramsey a lot. I've been recommending Dave Ramsey for decades when it comes to personal finance. He's just really good at it. He's got great courses and programs, teach people how to manage their money much better. Uh, he's big, obviously really big, but um, it's a shame what's happening to him right now. He just got hit with a $150 million class action suit. Turns out he's been promoting a timeshare exit company. Uh, there are several of these out there. People get stuck in timeshares, spend all this money every year. They don't want them anymore. They can't get rid of them. There are companies that specialize in getting you out of timeshares. Been around forever. Um, Unfortunately, the company he was promoting had a money back guarantee, except they went out of business. Uh, So they decided to sue Dave Ramsey for promoting them. Uh, There's some numbers in here I wanted to get back to. Bruce, listen to this. Um, the Dave Ramsey's radio show, this is one advertiser, one advertiser, this timeshare exit company, Dave Ramsey made, or Ramsey's company made $30 million from this one advertiser between 2015 and 2021. At one point they were paying $450,000 a month for advertising. I think I might have wow. to raise my rates. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Um, but that company's revenue. Why were they paying so much? Well, here's why. Was Dave doing charging them that? Yeah. Yeah, that's Dave's rate. I mean, that's what he was charging them to advertise. But here's what it did for their business. They went from $1 million in revenue prior to advertising on Dave's show to $40 million worth of revenue. 
but obviously wow. they couldn't manage yeah. the expenses because now they're out of business. Yeah, crazy, isn't it? Sure is. All right. Anybody have any? So where are they getting? If they're out of business and they're broke, where are they getting the money to uh, sue them? Well, no, the company's not suing Dave Ramsey. The listeners that used this company and now can't get their money back, even though there was supposed to be a money back guarantee because the company's bankrupt, they're suing Dave Ramsey for their money. Oh, so they have a class action suit. Uh, yes, it is a class action. $150 million is what they're trying to get out of Ramsey. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I feel bad for him. He's done amazing things for decades. He got sucked into this one. Maybe he does have some liability. I mean, they claim that he should have known they were going out of business and he should have stopped promoting him so heavy, but... Um, it, it's a shame. It's a, it's a big black mark for somebody who's done a lot of good for decades. So, all right. Any final words? No, maintain, uh, maintain and maintain. I like it. Good. Keep your truck perfect. There you go. If your, your truck's flying. perfect, if your truck's perfect. And if you have an air leak around the driver's side door, buy a new rubber seal, if the felt in the window track is worn out and the window's leaking air, tighten up the air leaks, tighten up the squeaks, clear silicone. You can take panels apart, put clear silicone on them, put it, the screws back in, let it dry. Keep it tight, keep it ready. And the need or the want and desire to own a new truck. Great advice. You're breaking up there at the end, but excellent advice. Eric, sounds like you had something. Yeah, I got a text about your flying from one of our owner operators, Mike Thompson, who used to, well, I think he's still a current airline pilot, but he, he sent me a text for you, I think. He said, got time to spare? Go by air. <laughs> <laughs> I think Mike, Mike called yesterday, I think. We were just talking recently. It was either yesterday or Friday. Yeah, look, I, I'm not. Like, I'm not afraid to fly. Clearly, I've been flying my whole life. And I, I jump in a plane with Mike and go up or any other pilot and go up. I don't care. I'll go up in fixed wing, rotary wing. I love to fly. But I'm not flying on airlines anymore. It's just not worth all the hassle. The cost has gotten expensive again. Flights get canceled all the time. People get stuck in airports constantly anymore. There are more close calls. There are more maintenance issues. Uh, and I don't have to be in a hurry anymore. I can, I can play John Madden and just drive around the country in my coach instead. Wasn't it John Madden that wouldn't fly? And he traveled in a coach to all the Yeah, games? Madden wouldn't fly. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah, he went in his Prevo. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. I don't have a Prevo yet, but okay. uh, my country coach will do. You All right. Bet it will. We will. Uh, we're going to wrap this up. We'll see you back here again next week. Thanks to the team from Pittsburgh Power, as always. If you have any other questions, give them a call. Tomorrow's Destination Health, it's kind of a health free-for-all tomorrow. I don't have a topic yet. I may have one by tomorrow, but uh, no guests. So you can just start calling early uh, Thursday and Friday. Oh, tomorrow we also have our uh, health spaces on Twitter. Um, Thursday will be a trucking free-for-all on Twitter. And Friday will be trends, our uh, technology and efficiency. So pretty normal schedule this week. We'll see you then. Be safe, be profitable, be fit and healthy.
always do the hard work and master the journey.